Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. This is the second class of our um, seven-class structured study of right view and understanding what is meant by five clinging aggregates or the, the ongoing personal experience of dukkha. Um, our first class was on the Kanda Sutta, which just very succinctly described um, what the aggregates are and how we cling them together to form a false identity a self-referential view of the world. Um, this sutta and the next three suttas are on emptiness as the Buddha teaches emptiness, which is quite different than what modern Buddhism teaches as emptiness. Emptiness, as, as I found in modern Buddhism, is almost gleefully grasped, grasped after as a resolution of a Dhamma that has no foundation. In other words, it has to resolve in emptiness or nothingness because there's no true foundation to it. And we're not knocking down other modern Buddhist practices, but in comparison to what I'm talking about today and what the Buddha taught, there is no relationship. And it is really on this point of emptiness or nothingness that um, the contradictions are so clearly seen. So you've heard me reference often um, that an awakened, fully mature human being is then simply a reference point to what's occurring in their life meaning that person has emptied themselves of all self-referential views. And so a common peaceful mind that understands what is occurring in this moment prevails. And this is how you get there. So this is the first of three. Um, all three suttas are included on this page on three suttas on emptiness. There's a rather long introduction um, that I know you've all read before class. Um, I'm only going to read the last couple paragraphs leading into the first sutta, the Kula Shunata or Sunata Sutta, the, the lesser discourse on emptiness, which happens to be the longer discourse on emptiness, but that's just the way the Pali Canon is organized. My words, ultimately, emptiness refers to having a mind that is empty of any internal disturbance caused by self-referential clinging to objects, events, views, and ideas including external identification with Buddhist practices that were never taught by the Buddha. That was the one thing that I had to overcome before I could really integrate or begin to integrate, integrate the Buddha's Dhamma. I was um, excited, almost stunned, when I realized what I was actually learning in the Pali Canon and in the, in the suttas. But I still clung to some of my old beliefs. Um, and even... I, even a few years into practicing jhana meditation, I would be sitting in meditation and either a salvific thought would crop up into my mind or an old meditation practice. I, one of my first meditation practice was TM. And I find myself having started jhana practice and now using my, my TM technique uh, without even realizing. But all that that showed me was how conditioned my mind was to believe something else other than what I was intending. But it was... All of that was quickly overcome once I focused on just what the Buddha taught and was willing internally and externally, meaning internally I was willing to let go of all that stuff that I had learned. And externally, I had to more or less abandon my associations because by continuing my associations, I was giving tacit approval to that practice. And also I couldn't help but be drawn into it simply by that. So emptiness as emptiness relates to the Buddhist teachings is mostly a verb rather than a, than a noun. It is skillful in this sense to see emptiness as emptying a glass of dirty water rather than seeing emptiness as a grand cosmic environment to aspire to or as a definition of an awakened self. With most, of, most all of the Buddhist practices that I engaged in before I came to the suttas resolved themselves, whether it was a Zen practice or something rooted in Tibetan Buddhism, um, which I took my vows in, all resolved in emptiness or nothingness in one sense or another, or the annihilation of the self. Um, one of the, the teachers that I practiced for a while was Nargajana. And anybody who has ever read Nargajana um, knows that it'll twist you up pretty quickly. Um, read the Abhidhamma and Nargajana together, 
Um, and you may, ne may never recover your mind. I'm just kidding. It, it, but it really gets you going. Nargajan is um, mantra was think not thinking. And that I just love that. That sounded great. Think not thinking. Think not thinking. That's what I'm after. That's what I'm after. And he made a lifetime meal out of it. Again, I'm not putting down the garden. Many people still follow him. But that is what he taught. It contradicts everything the Buddha taught. Was to think about your thinking in a non-self-referential way. To be mindful of what's occurring in your mind. Not to think about annihilation. Not think about nothingness but to empty oneself of ignorance. Our first two retreats, that was the theme of our retreats, if anybody can remember, emptying oneself of ignorance. The Buddha taught to empty oneself of craving and clinging and to empty the world of self-referential clinging views because I'm only dirtying the world by, my, by insisting that my self-referential views be a part of the world. It only creates tension in the world. The Buddha, having awakened to dependent origination, taught an eightfold path to end ignorance and bring an end to craving and clinging to all things interconnected with me or all things I am interdependent on or all things that I am interbeing with. That's the three defining characteristics of almost all of modern Buddhism. Almost every practice takes on that mantra of interconnection, interdependence, or interbeing. And that all is rooted in a gross misunderstanding of dependent origination. In fact, dependent origination is often presented as interdependent origination or inter interdependent co-arising or interconnectedness. Um, and none of those words have any relation to dependent. Do that. But those of you that have been practicing modern Buddhism have come across that and have probably practiced towards that understanding of something that cannot be understood. Part one, the Kula Sanata Sutta, the lesser discourse on emptiness. The Buddha was at Savati in the Eastern Monastery, a local palace. The Buddha's chief attendant and cousin Ananda, returning from seclusion, asked the Buddha, on one occasion I heard you say, I now remain fully dwelling, in my in parentheses, in the quality of mind, in emptiness. Did I hear this correctly? Did I learn this correctly? Did I remember this correctly? The Buddha replied, yes, Ananda, you heard that correctly, you learned it correctly, and you remembered it correctly. Now, as before, I remain fully dwelling in emptiness. Now, of course, the whole notion of emptiness and nothingness is dispelled right there. Here's a human being sitting in front of another human being saying, I'm dwelling in emptiness, yet, but yet here he is physically. So it has to be something different. Just as this place is empty of elephants and cattle and empty of gold or silver, empty of assemblies of women and men, and there is only this non-emptiness of this community of monks. What does he mean by that? It's empty of elephants and cattle and empty of gold and silver, etc., etc. Those things were there, physically present. What the Buddha is saying is they're of no concern to me. I'm here in the Sangha. I'm here in the Dhamma. Even so, Ananda, when not distracted by the perception of the village, the perception Right? The perception. Form, remember how he started this with the Kanda Sutta. Form, feeling, perceptions, mental fabrications, and consciousness. Ongoing thinking rooted in ignorance of, of Four Noble Truths. <clears throat> Even so, Ananda, we're not distracted by the perception. It's the perception, a self-referential view, that is the distraction. The village is still there. But the way that I view the village in relation to myself is the, is the distraction. It's the heart of the matter. It's the essence of eye-making. Even so, Ananda, when not distracted by the perception of the village, not distracted by the perception of a human being, in parentheses, with self-referential views, a wrong view, there is only mindfulness of a wilderness with no distractions to what is not present. A wilderness, a wild place where anything is possible. That's the way we should be viewing the world because that's, that's how the world is experienced when we're simply a reference point. We're not dragging the past, influencing the present, and, and now influencing the future. Each and every moment is fresh. There's only this wilderness. Each and every moment is fresh. There's only this wilderness to explore, a safe wilderness. In parentheses, again, there is no discursive or speculative thought, meaning there's no, um, the wilderness is a reference to there's no boundaries to my thinking now. I'm not stuck in an ideology. I mentioned last week, 
um, most of us revolve, resolve things in a prison of two ideas. We stink, we, we, we cling to one idea that defines us and we reject every other idea. And of course, that is a prison of two ideas. We're, we're um, blocking ourselves from experiencing the entirety of human life, which a self-referential human being can do. And that's where all the, the beauty and the, the, um, the true value in this moment is being open to everything that is in this moment, isn't it? And if I'm blocking myself or, or averse to anything in this moment, I'm simply blocking my own humanity, my own experience of this moment. Likewise, if I'm grasping after or need something more out of this moment, what I'm really saying to myself is I'm not enough. I need more. Self-loathing. The mind takes pleasure, the Buddha's words, the mind takes pleasure and finds satisfaction in being mindful of the wilderness. That's calm. Then no matter what is occurring in your life, this moment is enough. Imagine going through life like that. No greed, no aversion, no deluded thinking. This is what the Dhamma is about. This is what emptiness is about. Emptying oneself of ignorance. The mind quiets and delights in the perception of wilderness. This next section is called emptiness of the perception of the village. It is then understood that whatever disturbances that would arise from being distracted by the things of the village, clinging to external events, thoughts, words, and ideas, are no longer present. Whatever disturbance that would arise from being distracted by the perception of a, in parentheses, permanent human being, are no longer present. And how are they no longer present? Through my Dhamma practice, through me changing my mind in the most profound way about what I am in relation to the world I'm living in. There is only the single-minded, single-minded meaning well-concentrated, single-minded focus based on the mindfulness of wilderness. It is understood that this perception is empty of the distraction of the things of the, vill of the village, meaning our immediate surroundings. We're not clinging to anything. We're simply in it. There is only this non-emptiness of the perception of willingness. So the only thing is that is real, that is not rooted in emptiness, that is empty of ignorance, is being present for this moment. The perception of the wilderness. My mind, the great possibility of my mind to perceive my human life, to be present for it. That's what this is all about. And it's, I, I didn't understand that that was what was missing from my whole life until I came to this, but it was. Because no matter what I developed or acquired, knowledge, things, relationships, houses, none of it was satisfying. Because none of it, I didn't own any of it, even though I had a, a name on a deed. And I had a name on a marriage certificate. And I had a name on a business. And I had a name on this and a name on that. All of it was I making. And all of it owned me. I had an agency over none of it until I let go of all of it. And most of it is still here, but I don't have to drag it around with me moment by moment by moment. I don't have to create an ongoing self-identity that has nothing to do with reality in order to relate to you and to the world I live in. There's just this wilderness, a pure wilderness. When this is present, it is seen that there is only this. This is the, this is the entry into emptiness which is in accord with reality and is undistorted and pure. This is the entry into emptiness, which is in accord with reality and is undistorted and pure. This next, that next section is called emptiness of the perception of earth. So we're broadening our understanding here. <laughs> Furthermore, Nanda, as concentration increases within, within the framework of the Eightfold Path, the perception of wilderness and of human beings falls away. This passionate mindfulness of the earth arises, meaning now I'm seeing, um, I'm understanding much more or a much in a much broader way the world I live in. But because my mind is concentrated, this ever, ever greater world does not create more clinging, more greed and more aversion. I'm still resting in the solitude of the wilderness of my mind. The mind takes pleasure and finds satisfaction in being mindful of the perception of earth. Just being mindful of it, just being aware of what I'm living in, the environment, the people, 
the things that society has, the ever-changing world that I am now a reference point to. And that is magic in a completely realistic way. Because then nothing matters and everything matters. Right? Can you understand? I think it's easy enough. When nothing matters and everything does matter. When something matters, I'm making a choice. I'm saying that's what I want and I don't want that. And it doesn't mean that I become passive in my life. In fact, I will tell you that I am more um, engaged in my life now than I ever was before when it was important for me to be engaged in my life. Now because I'm simply present for it. David and I had a wonderful talk about certain things um, and the way that we're seeing the world in a completely different light that is pure. It's not creating agitation in us, but it's looking at what is actually occurring in the world today. The mind takes pleasure and finds satisfaction in being mindful of the perception of earth. The mind quiets and delights in the perception of earth and understanding the mind quiets. Then the Buddha says, just as a bull's hide is stretched free of wrinkles with many stakes, meaning mindfulness, free of distraction to the ridges and hollows, the rivers and oceans, the trees and stumps and brambles, the craggy irregularities of the earth, non-distraction based solely on the perception of the earth, again, free of those discriminating thoughts, it is now understood. You're seeing everything without noticing the wrongness or the badness or the things that we want to be different, the craggy lines, the wrinkled faces, the wrinkles in my face, it's just this. It's just what's occurring. It's life unfolding. And for me to experience life unfolding, I have to be willing to be present for life unfolding without coloring it in any way, without insisting that I have agency over this moment, because we don't. It's just life. It occurs. I can understand it. I can understand what it means to have a human life. And out of that understanding comes calm and presence. Now there is only the non-emptiness of the perception of the earth. This is, this is an ever-deepening level of concentration that's able to stay present. This next section is called emptiness of the perception of the infinitude of space. So now we're touching on, and the Buddha is touching on the practices that were common in his day, mostly based on the Vedas and the Upanishads, and the practices that are still today influenced by the Vedas and the Upanishads, not by what the Buddha taught, which resolves itself in emptiness. And so we create and, and I think any of you that have been in modern Buddhist practice will recognize these references shortly when they get to them about um, aspiring to infinity in some way, the infinity of space or the infinity of human consciousness. This next section addresses just that. I'm sorry, in, John. Yes, Tom. Just a quick, a quick question. Um, I should have, I should have asked this a bit earlier, but the word keeps coming up and I'm still not, it's not fully resolved in my mind. Wilderness. I think of a wilderness. I think of like a barren, empty land. Ah. And I don't think of the world as being a wilderness. So can you just explain a little bit more of that word? And you yeah, talk it's, about it's it. really just it's, like, it's not it still doesn't really make sense to me. Yeah, like I didn't using no, I didn't consider that that wilderness wouldn't mean the same to you as it does to me. And so thank you for clarifying that or allowing me to clarify it. So in my mind, when I'm referring to wilderness, um, well, the first picture in my mind that comes is just a, a pure and completely forested view. Everything is just that. It's just it's just the, the world emerging. And it's not a barren place. It's a place of, of wild possibilities that I'm here to be present for. So um, think of it in this way, that it is wilderness is a reference to the to the um, complete vibrancy and opportunity and possibility that human life has in each and every moment. So it's really just the opposite of the way you're looking at wilderness, you know, the word. Right. So again, thanks for allowing me to define it. If anybody else, what was anybody else thinking of it along that wilderness was a barren place? I no? just, I just was noticing the same thing about like emptiness, the, our concept of emptiness has been such a negative um, concept. Uh, I, I felt so empty as like lonely and, and it, this teaching just really draws out how in contrast the value of, yeah. of emptiness or barrenness or um, 
just we we truly are averted to it in our society and in our yeah. day kind of of ourselves without these yeah. kinds of teachings or understandings yeah thank you sarah and it, it, and it speaks to what tom was just mentioning that um the it, it, that it is such a hurtful it was a hurtful thing for me to buy into that i was seeking emptiness or nothingness because again what is that? That's just self-annihilation. And I never felt right about practicing it. But be, again, because of my associations, I had a lot of friends and I knew a lot of the, you know, I was fortunate and maybe because I was just arrogant enough to walk up to people that maybe other people wouldn't. But I became friends with a lot of modern teachers that people know about. Um, and it, even then, um, being associated, you might say, at a high level in different organizations, it still didn't feel right to me. The 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 identity that I was creating, the, the the cloak that I was wearing, didn't fit. But I kept putting it on and putting it on because it was what I was associated with, and I was friends with people. I was romantically involved in this one and that one. So it was all part of my life that was barren of anything, of anything real, of anything useful. And it wasn't again until I came to the suttas and realized just to use it in my context, the wilderness of my own mind where each moment is is just that. It's just pure wilderness. It's pure opportunity. So again, thank you, Tom, and thank you, Sarah. Now we're getting into an emptiness of the perception of the infinitude of space. This is just another fabricated belief systems that people try to resolve their own greed, aversion, and deluded thinking into. The Buddha says, furthermore, Ananda, as concentration increases within the framework of the Eightfold Path, the perception of wilderness and of human beings and of the earth falls away. This passionate mindfulness of the dimension of the infinite, infinite infinitude of space arises. The mind takes pleasure and finds satisfaction in being mindful of the dimension of the infinitude of space. Then the mind quiets and delights in the perception of the dimension of the infinitude of space. It is now understood that whatever disturbances that would arise based on the perception of wilderness or human beings or of the earth do not arise out of that understanding now that this is just like the infinitude of consciousness. It's just an empty place. The mind is empty of these perceptions. There is only the non-emptiness of the perception of the dimension of the infinitude of space. We see that as, as just barren of anything. The quality of mind is regarded as empty of what is not there, empty of ignorance. This is further entry into the emptiness, which is in accord with reality and is undistorted and pure. The next section is emptiness of the perception of the infinitude of consciousness. That's the whole, that is related to the notion of um, no self in the in that into that emptiness realm, the nothingness realm that somehow still carries a consciousness that fits into that. And this is where I started having real problems with what I was being taught in practice. Because how does that work? The it's Buddha said also the. the the idea of Brahma, so yes. the overarching you know, creator of everything. Did, did everybody hear what Ram said? They, again, this is why the, the teachings during the Buddha's day, even though the Buddha was teaching, tended towards what Ram just said and continued through the today. So modern Buddhism has more relationship to, to Hinduism than what the Buddha taught. It's not a knock on it. It's just, it's just based more on the Vedas and the Upanishads than it is on what the Buddha taught. Would you say that again a little bit louder, please? <clears throat> that in, in his day, the overarching the teaching was always that there was the, the, uh, the overarching consciousness, the Brahma, yeah. is there. And, and you know, he, he mentions that idea a lot. Uh, and um, To contradict it, because, to, it, to because contradict it was so prevalent. Yeah. Because um, it, this, is, this is just what was taught at that time. And, yeah. It comes back, um, and then uh, the German romantics uh, in, 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 in the 18th century uh, popped it right back in there because they, they were looking for something to... Um, they were looking for resolution. To, to, fill, to fill the emptiness of, yeah. of their lives at that time, and uh, that was a beautiful idea, that there yeah. was this overarching consciousness. Yeah, and, and again, not to knock other religions either. I. I, I you know, I, I should say, I really do 
honor and respect religions to the point that um, Adam mentioned the thing that we went to on uh, the, the, the concert that we went to in a church. And it was all um, it was all religious hymns. And it was one of the most beautiful experiences I ever had. It really was. Mm -hmm. uh, Brahma's sitting there shaking his head. Yeah, David, too. Um, and it wasn't because of the subject matter. It didn't matter to me. It was being present for what was occurring. And, and this this was a uh, they were all singing in a very devotional way. It was wonderful. I mean, I was present for it. I, mean, I didn't need anybody to be any different or practice a different religion to listen to me. It, it didn't matter, and it doesn't matter. But I will say that I was taught, <laughs> and I still remember it, um, that I taught I was – nah, I'm not going to go there. I just practiced wise restraint. <laughs> Emptiness of the perception of the infinitude of consciousness. Furthermore, Ananda, as concentration increases, jhana within the framework of the Eightfold Path, that's important, the perception of the wilderness and of human beings and of the earth and of the dimension of the infinitude of space falls away. It's simply not reality. It's not important. This passionate mindfulness of the dimension of the infinitude of consciousness arises. So he's talking about a person practicing the Dhamma, but moving through some of the ignorant views that are present, even in Modern, modern dharma, dharma practices. I use the word dharma to distinguish between the dharma and what the Buddha taught. The mind takes pleasure and finds satisfaction in being mindful of the dimension of the infinitude of consciousness. The mind quiets and delights in the perception of the dimension of the infinitude of consciousness. It is now understood. So now we're, we're, we're owning this level, even though it's a fabricated level. It is now understood that whatever disturbances that would arise based on the perception of wilderness or human beings or of the earth or the dimension of the infinitude of space simply do not arise. But they're now taking um, distraction in the, the, the perception of the, let me just read it. The mind is empty of these perceptions. There is only the non-emptiness of the perception of the dimension of the infinitude of consciousness. Again, it's you might say that it's a higher thought but it's still not based in reality. It's still a distraction. The quality of mind is regarded as empty of what is not there. This is further entry into emptiness, which is in accord with reality and it is undistorted and pure. So the Buddhist teaching those that in his own Sangha, the original Sangha that had become distracted by grasping after these so-called higher levels of consciousness as saying, move through them, recognize them as fabricated. The next section is called emptiness of the perception of the dimension of nothingness. Furthermore, Ananda, as concentration increases within the framework of the Eightfold Path, the perception of wilderness and of human beings and of earth and of the dimension of the infinitude of space and of the dimension of the infinitude of consciousness falls away. Again, if, it was, if there was any reality to any of these things, they couldn't fall away. They'd be part of the world. This passionate mindfulness of the dimension of nothingness now arises. So this is where a mind that's seeking resolution somehow, but that resolution is not rooted in a foundation of reality, meaning first understanding four noble truths, will keep creating the need for resolution to find an end to its own thinking. This passionate mindfulness of the dimension of nothingness arises. The, the great um, uh, the great prophets and um, those types of folks, Ram, Ram just mentioned the Greeks, uh, they all, again, not they're great thinkers, but they all had to find a resolution for their, think, for their thinking. Why? Because they, their, their mind compelled them to get to the end. And so you have to create something, and, and emptiness or nothingness or the dimension that we might aspire to is what we resolve these things in. What he, it's just a natural way. The mind, because the mind takes pleasure and finds satisfaction in being mindful of the dimension of nothingness. I sat in rooms with hundreds of people taking delight in being in the same fabrication collectively. We fooled ourselves to, to believe that, yeah, we're in, we're in nothingness. The mind quiets and delights in the perception of the dimension of nothingness. It has a, it has a bearing on us. It has a, an, its own um, uh, subtle quality that can be hard to overcome. It is now understood 
that whatever disturbances that would arise based on the perception of wilderness or human beings or the earth or the dimension of the infinitude of space or the dimension of the infinitude of consciousness do not arise. The mind is empty of these perceptions. We've worked our way through all of our ignorance. Most of it. There is only the non-emptiness of the perception of the dimension of nothingness. So we're clinging to that. That one grand thought, everything is nothing, everything is empty. There is no self. The quality of mind is regarded as empty of what is not there. This is further entry into emptiness, which is in accord with reality, and, and is undistorted and pure. We're getting there. Now, emptiness of the perception of dimension of neither perception nor non-perception. This is kind of, um, this was... Uh, uh, extrapolated by Nagarjuna, this idea, and that's what led to that think-not-thinking idea. Furthermore, Ananda, as concentration increases within the framework of the Eightfold Path, the perception of wilderness and of human beings and of the earth and of the dimension of the infinitude of space, the dimension of the infinitude of consciousness, and of the dimension, a dimension of nothingness falls away. This passionate mindfulness of the dimension of neither perception nor non-perception arises. The mind takes pleasure and finds satisfaction and mind build a lifetime of teachings over that. In being mindful of the dimension of neither perception nor non-perception or think, not thinking. The mind quiets and delights in the perception of the dimension of neither perception or non-perception. It is now understood that whatever disturbances that would arise based on the perception of wilderness or human beings or of the earth or the dimension of the infinitude of space or the dimension of the infinitude of consciousness or of the dimension of nothingness, do not arise. We're working through it. We're coming to a real resolution. The mind is empty of these perceptions. So we have to recognize these things, and it doesn't have to necessarily be characterized in this way, but we have to recognize and abandon the ideologies and the ideas that we are clinging to that, that result in self-referential views and are ignorant of Four Noble Truths. The mind is empty of these perceptions. There is only the non-emptiness of the perception of the dimension of neither perception nor non-perception. The quality of mind is regarded as empty of what is not there. We're getting there. There is This is further entry into emptiness, which is in accord with reality and is undistorted and pure. This sutta is such a, and the, other, and the Maha uh, Sunata Sutta is, is also a teaching on, on right effort. It's telling us that we have to keep going deeper and deeper until all our fabrications are recognized and abandoned. All of, all of our sacred cows, if you will, all the things that we use to create an identity by our, about ourselves in the world that is rooted in ignorance of four noble truths. Not everyone experiences all this. Yes, this, yeah, you don't have to recognize all these. Um, some people, like David, they hear one brilliant teaching from me and he's immediately awakened. Some of us, it takes a little work to do. The next section is called the best one, release from all fabricated views, emptiness. And this, and these are the kind of things that almost bring me to tears if I was alone at mine. But think about this human being teaching something that is so relevant 2,600 years ago and is just as relevant today. Finally, Ananda, having abandoned the perceptions of the dimension of nothingness and of the perceptions of the dimension of neither perceptions nor non-perception, all of that, one abides in single-minded concentration free of self-referential views. A human being would not have taught this to other human beings if other human beings couldn't do this. We don't have to be saints. We don't have to be sinners. We don't have to do, have any special powers. We just have to be willing to go through it, to spend the time to engage in right effort, to, to meditate, to listen to the suttas, to come to class as often as you can, to do all these things that bring a common, peaceful mind. The quali this quality of mind is regarded as empty of what is not there. We know what is not there. We have a direct experience. We understand dukkha. Why? Because we understand abandoning dukkha. The quality of mind is empty of what is not there. There is a satisfied and pleasant abiding. Again, that's just a described. Can't think of the word. Description of an awakened human being. A satisfied and pleasant abiding. Imagine being a human being that doesn't need anything to be any different in this moment, moment by moment by moment. That's what we're talking about, it being empty of all the fabrications that would cause me to want something, especially myself, to be different. 
there is a satisfied and pleasant abiding. The mind quiets and is gratified in single-minded concentration, in jhana, free of all self-referential views. It is understood that this single-minded concentration, free of self-reference, is fabricated in form through thought. And that's why it's fabricated, because it's formed through thought. I'm creating a, constru a construct. But it's a healthy construct. Having abandoned all self-referential views, it is understood that whatever is fabricated and formed through thought is impermanent and subject to cessation. That's why this, this fabricated moment is resting in understanding, and so it's not clinging and it's not craving. It's fabricated only because it's my individual perception, but I understand that. And that leaves me free of conflict with other people whose individual perception might be different than mine. Does everybody understand? We're not looking for some kind of unified consciousness where everybody has just one idea. In fact, it is a diversity of ideas that we're losing in the world right now that's creating all the conflict because we're afraid of it. That an awoken, awake, 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 an awoke mind rests in, cherishes the diversity of ideas because that's the wilderness. That's the wilderness. That's the opportunity. That's the vibrancy of life that we're denying ourselves by the prison of two ideas. It's this and it's not that. Understanding the impermanent nature of all fabrications, the mind is released from stress, the stress of sensuality, from the stress of becoming further ignorant or I'm making, and from the stress of ignorance. It is understood that birth of further ignorant views in parentheses has ended. This is the Buddhist teaching on birth and rebirth. He didn't care about a future birth, a physical birth, what are we giving birth to in this moment? This moment holds a potential to incline our minds towards further ignorance or take to the Dhamma and incline our minds towards awakening. What am I giving birth to in this moment? That's what takes jhana. What am I giving birth to in this moment? It is, is it, am I giving birth to something that is an abandoning ignorance? Am I giving birth to something that is moving towards awakening? Or am I simply clinging to my own ignorance, my own stress and suffering? It is understood that birth of, in parentheses, of further ignorant views has ended. The integrated, this is often um, translated as the holy life, but the Buddha wasn't a minister. He didn't set himself up as a savior in any way. And so holy has those religious connotations that really mean integrated with the Eightfold Path. So that's why I changed that word. It is understood that birth of further ignorant views has ended. The life integrated with the Eightfold Path has been lived the path is now complete. There is nothing left clinging to the world. That's freedom. It is under Buddha's words. It is understood that whatever disturbance that arose from the stress of sensuality, from grasping, from the stress of becoming further ignorant, of eye-making, and from the stress of ignorance are no longer present. It is only the wilderness, the pure wilderness. There is now only the minor disturbance connected with a sixth sense base that is dependent on the body with life as the condition of disturbance. Life as a condition. There is dukkha. As a consequence of having a human life, there's going to be stress and suffering. Don't take it personal because it's not. None of it can be. There is only the non-emptiness connected with the sixth sense base and dependent on the body with life as a condition. The sixth sense base is the five physical senses and the sixth sense of our consciousness ongoing thinking rooted in ignorance of four noble truths or an awakened consciousness. What is not present is understood as empty of what is not present. We realize what we've emptied ourselves of. We've emptied ourselves of the dirty glass. Whatever remains is understood as what is present, period. It's just what's here. And what is seen, this is what the Buddha told Bahia. Remember that great sutta? And he, he reiterates it here. And what is seen, there is only the seen. In what is heard, there is only the heard. In what is cognized, there is only the cognized. So, Ananda, this is final entry, my, final in parentheses. So, Ananda, this is entry into emptiness, which is in accord with reality and is undistorted and pure. Ananda, whoever enters and remains in this emptiness, whether the past, present, or future, they all enter the same emptiness that is undistorted, pure, superior, and unsurpassed. Therefore, Ananda, train yourself to enter in this same emptiness that is undistorted and pure, superior, and unsurpassed. 
this is what the Buddha said 2,600 years ago. And, delight, and Ananda was delighted by his words, as we are today. I hope. I know I am. Thank you all. Um, it's a rather long sutta, and we have a, a, a lot of uh, people in, a lot of people present today. Um, so please, I want to hear from everyone, but please keep your comments um, succinct if you can. Jeff, good morning. Good morning, guys. Good morning, Joe. Um, it is a long suit. There's a lot of stuff there. Uh, to Tom's question about the wilderness or his perception or his definition of that, to me, the wilderness is the most comfortable place. Yeah. Uh, it it it's the least uh it, in, in my mind it's the least hazardous the, the really wild place is social settings because it's the most unpredictable right I, it, yeah. it's uh, it's the only reality that that we the wilderness is the only reality we don't define for ourselves yeah can't define it. You don't control it. It is what it is. You have to accept it for what it is. Versus, uh, it it is predictable in its unpredictability, if you will. Yeah. Can I say something um, to that? Yeah. So, in my mind, a, a wilderness isn't a barren place. It's full of life. It is what. It's it's real. It's reality versus the artificial place that we call society. Yeah, and who who is in that wilderness? The wilderness defines by definition that wilderness is just me. I'm walking through this world alone, and that again, that's contrary to the whole uh, compulsive belief that we're all interconnected. We're not. That again, that's related to emptiness. Right. But it doesn't mean that we're not all human beings. We're 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 so much more um, understanding, compassionate, and empathetic as we awaken than we ever were before, because we understand the nature of our own dukkha. <clears throat> Rob, I wanted to mention that to, to look at the uh, at the setting there, um, and, and how the Buddha taught to the situation. Uh, here's uh, you know, a large group of monks that are, are settling down for their raids retreat in an old disused palace. Yeah. And um, it, it's just beautiful the way that he, so he sets up like what used to be here. So you know, this is now empty of, of all the finery and, and, and you know, all we have left is these, these walls and the roof maybe and um, it's, but, you know, don't get hung up. We're, we're, we're in the palace now. Yeah. No, you're in a, just, you're just in a place. And as these, as these palaces were, were disused and abandoned, either because they, they built something better or because a different ruler came in, um, the jungle is only literally a couple of miles away. Yeah. And as these places are, are abandoned, uh, the wilderness takes over. You know, stuff starts growing. <coughs> the animals of, from the forest wander in. Um, so it, he, it's beautiful the way he uses what's there right in front of, uh, of him and Ananda to, to teach about emptiness. Yeah. So look at what's here and look at what's not here. Yeah. Stop getting hung up on stuff that is not here. Yeah. And, and it's and still you, just still yeah. a human being. Yeah. Just right the here. awakened human being is just present with what's here. Yeah. And what's here is an empty palace. Yeah. Thank you, Ron. Put that part of, of the wilderness in there. Yeah, important. Thank you. Brian, I'm a teacher, Brian. How are you? I'm well. Um, I have a lot. I'll, I'll try to be brief. Um, the, the, the concept of the wilderness, I think for me is, you know, we, we just natively as humans build these constructs and metaphors and objects in our mind. When we look out upon the world, I see a tree, I call it a tree. It's no longer a tree, right? It's the concept of the tree in my head. Yeah. 
and stripping ourselves of all of those constructs and fabrications and um, views, right? Thoughts allows us then to just exist in the wilderness, whatever that wilderness is, even if it is society or city setting or wilderness setting or whatever, it's, yeah. it's all of that. The other thing I, I got from this, this time around was a, it seemed like a parallel between a six property person, earth, air, water, fire, space, and consciousness looked like those kind of lined up and mapped with going through this, this abandonment and emptying yourself at each of those levels yeah. each of those properties so what you're left with then is just your senses interacting with the the environment and no judgment construct or concept or thought upon those those interactions with the sense base and so you're just experiencing as you 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 keep saying life as life occurs as a reference point yeah. and then there's the the two additional dimensions that are the fabricated realms from his two two teachers that Again, you pass through whether you pass through or not. It's not it's not germane or relevant to the journey. If you do go through them, you just abandon them. Yeah, is that all? That was quick. Yeah, right. Thank you, thank you, Brian. Uh, Sarah, how are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm listening today. Just true, true. I just hear my head going, <laughs> saying true, true to everything. And cool. uh, just in my experience, it's been a freeing thing to realize that the I was thinking of the space, you know, that infinity of space and how um, it, there's always something that we don't have. There's always something that that we that we it, an infinite amount of what we don't have or can't do or whatever the negative thing is. And uh, I had had a lot of success in my life as far as being free from the negativity by acknowledging that the opposite, though, is being drawn out today for me, that then we don't just kind of pounce on the infinity of space as this, this is the thing to be desired, and then therefore cling to that. And yeah. it's, uh, I just hear the complete releasing and freedom in finding the dispassion like not clinging to and not being averted to mm -hmm. anything it's lovely thank you yeah. thank you sarah and i'm sorry i didn't recognize you at the last class but it's good to, <laughs> good to see you again you. you change your name so. hello dharma teacher tom how are you um yep i'm good thank you john um so yeah, I think just just quickly on that word wilderness, it's an interesting one. I think the reason I thought of barren is because it's a it's a place where you don't. I mean, at least in modern use of that word, you don't associate a lot of humans sort of civilization, right? Mm. Um, and yet that doesn't. That too, okay. Sorry, it kind of fits that. I mean, the no. in in des describing the individual as sovereign you know, that it, it does fit, that there's nothing else except everything, but just, just this. Yeah. So to, to, re, to understand that we are individuals, we're not part of one grand collective. We don't want to think yeah. what our associations cause us to think. We want to just be present. So I'm sorry, yeah. I interrupted you. Yeah. So I think um, it's almost an interesting, it was an interesting, I guess, reflection for me on, it was my eye making that actually made me associate wilderness with barren land because it's a place where you don't normally, you know, you imagine someone going off into the wilderness, you imagine there's not going to be many humans there, right? So it's almost like seeing life through that lens of, well, if it's not human civilization, then there must be barrenness there, right? But actually, as you said, it's, it's the wild. There's all kinds of things going on in the wilderness just because it doesn't involve humans doesn't mean to say that it's not as vibrant as anywhere else, if not more so. So um, anyway, I got some clarity on that word. Um, and otherwise, I mean, I, I think I really, um, you know, there's obviously a lot of repetition there and stuff, but, but I think there's some, I, I really enjoyed in particular the, the final part. Um, and I think just, just getting that opportunity to fit into moments of, um you know um what is it not 
um, anyway, I'll keep this very short, but yeah, dipping into those moments of not wanting to like life to be different than, than added it as it is. And meditation being a moment, even if it's just a one second or two seconds to be like, Oh, wow. It's just, it's just really, it's really, um, becomes really self-encouraging and quite inspiring. Sometimes you have that one second in meditation or two seconds or whatever, where you're like, Hey, I actually don't need to carry this weight around in my mind. So, uh, anyway, yeah. that's all. Um, thanks. Thank you, Tom. There's almost, I mean, I, I think all of you probably sense this. There's in almost every sutta, there's this, a, a subtle, um, imploring by Siddhartha to, this is what you should experience rather than fully just believe something, have this experience. And, and the whole, the whole eightfold path and, just about every sutta is geared towards that. We have to do this for ourselves. We have to be mindful of experiencing it, and that takes jhana and the right framework to do it. So thanks for bringing that out too. Julia, good morning. Good morning. Um, phenomenal teaching. I, I got a lot out of this as always, and I'm really happy to be here. Uh, <clears throat> so what I really just want to say is that whether I'm living in the world in, and I'm at a family party or I'm in class or where, or if I'm alone is uh, just be at peace with the quality of my mind at, no matter where I am. And if I'm not, that's okay too. Yeah. So, yeah. but I, I do have to log off now. I have something I have to attend to, but uh this was awesome. Uh, it's good to see you, Julia. Yeah, we, we we need to attend to our own minds, don't we? And we do it through Dharma practice. <laughs> Thanks, Julia. Hello, Mary. Good morning. Ah, I said hello, and she. There's Mary. Hello, Mary. Operator error on my end. Um, good morning, everyone. Really good things being said. Um, I couldn't help stop thinking about, you know, the Wizard of Oz. That's an easy correlation that <laughs> she has to go on um, the journey that she goes on um, in order to arrive at knowing that she has everything she needs and she has nothing she doesn't need. Um, but it's the journey you need to go on and it's yep. the uh, not to overutilize the, the movie theme, but you need the path to go on. So it, it the yellow seems, eight, the yellow brick eightfold path. <laughs> yeah, something like that. But it seems to me that you could go on an adventure to try and understand emptiness or nothingness or acceptance or trying to sever um yourself from uh, negative behaviors and patterns, but it's superficial without the journey and the path, right? So you have to yeah. have the realization of, of the aggregates and the properties of being a human and, and living in the world and not pretending you're separate from it but knowing that it's there and it's the journey and the eightfold path that guides you to organically and naturally uh, dispose of things along the way or, or sever or um, release along the way. So that as you say, uh, you know, they're not going to return to you, you know, yeah. because you You've, you've realized, you've experienced, you've had a knowing that this is not um, serving you well as you move through. And it's the path that helps you um, see that. I mean, it all comes back to um, having that right view. And it's when we don't have right view um, that we're experiencing all these other things that are not helping us. So. I'm not sure if that's extremely helpful, but thank you for the teaching. This is a good one. That was outstanding, Mary, and thank you for tying it into last week's sutta or mm. Tuesday's sutta, and to the to the theme of right view, because that's what that's what we're doing. We're developing a right view of what it means to be a human being. 
Thank you. See you, Adam. Good to see you. Good morning, Bridget. I think what came to mind for me was that when we go out into the wilderness, hiking through camp or whatever, we bring a lot of concentration with us because we know that we're going to be. There's a certain amount of like risk inherent in being a human in the wilderness yeah. that you plan for. So you concentrate and you know you're in that space. So I feel like a lot of times when we're just in the world, you know, in society with other people, we can kind of bumble around a little blindly. And we kind of turn off. Like it's a different mind space when you're in the wilderness than when you're mm-hmm. in the yeah. world. For some people, some of them, at least for me, I know it's true. I'm not completely different. And that's why we like to go there. Yeah, to go oh, me the too. Wilderness yeah. To disconnect. Yeah. Because we're using our mind in a different way. And I think what came to me was just that it's through concentration that you can have that same space in your mind and that same openness and freedom from the dirty glass. Yeah. In your everyday life, um, if you're not lucky enough to live in the you can bring that same concentration, maintain that same focus on what's actually occurring rather than letting all those distractions crowd out the space in your mind. And then you're so full of everything that you can't see. That's right. Way to put it. Thank you. You put me back onto, I used to do this hike when I was a much younger man. That's Fairford Ridge, which is part of the Appalachian Trail, right at the New York, New Jersey border. And, And I used to go there and I always felt better up there. That's why I kept going almost every weekend. But this is long before I came across what the Buddha taught. And I come down off of that Fairfort Ridge and uh, I'm right back in it. Right back in it. I could never figure out why until I came here. Thank you for bringing it up. Hello, Kevin. Good to see you. Good to see you. Great to be back in the Sangha directly here. Great to have you. Um, yeah, this is um, the repetition. Um, Beginning to understand this system more and more. I've been the first time I heard it, it just blew my mind. It was too much to take in. And uh, maybe it's about the fifth or sixth time of reading that I've heard it and have gone through it. And you know, it's just uh, people's comments is sort of what's coming to me too. Oh, yeah. Um, through concentration, increased concentration and through John it just gives you a better understanding of it. And it, I think it does come down to, like Brian said, um, that the bottom line is that this is properly being and um, this is what this is what it's all about. Yeah. It's just that. It's just that. Thank you, Kevin. Good morning, Becky. Good morning, John. <clears throat> Thank you for your kind words about the New Year's message. Uh, they were very, they were, they were meant very definitely. Yeah. Gave me a really good feeling when I read that. Good. Um, I feel like uh, Kevin, with regard to uh, the amount of times I've been through the Suda, and finally today, I feel a little bit more like I am starting understand it. And the thing that really came through to me today was when you just when you when you described what what I guess I would say was the final awakened state as being fabricated. It was just so incredible to understand that. But fabricated with really with ultimate understanding. Yes, that's the that's the difference. And that's the difference. And and I realized when you when I realized that, I realized that when you practice the Dhamma, you have moments when you're there. Yeah. And that you know, it's not like a 
thing you're supposed to aspire to. Oh, no, I'm there and I'm never leaving again. Yeah. It's always going to be, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go forever. I really, I really realized that that's what I was, that's what I was thinking was, and you kept saying, when Duca occurs, and I'm like, yeah, but when you get there, it doesn't occur anymore. It's, <laughs> it's just up to you how you experience it. Right. You either get entangled in it or you don't. Or you don't. Yeah. And, and so that was really a moment for me there. So thank you, John. Thank well, you for that teaching. Thank you, and Becky. And um, I would argue with something you said that, that this was, you, you've, you've been ex expressing this understanding for many years now. But you're also a good example of someone who keeps practicing and with every class your understanding deepens and you're able to share it with the sangha and that 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 is what makes our sangha not it's not the bald guy sitting up here so much it's all of you but you know here's a good point where you all contribute so much to to our own understanding so thank you i'm a teacher wrong i think i'm good um this is uh it's amazing how much is in this this one system. Yeah. Yeah, and you've said it many times, full teaching. Uh, it was a long one, but still, there is a lot in here, and, and a lot of the details of the text are, are really, really telling. Yeah. And the, the next, the, the, this is the lesser discourse, mm -hmm. and it's longer than the than the than the, uh, the, greater, the greater discourse. Yeah, so we're going to do the Maha Chinata Sutta next Tuesday, which follows this really nicely. So we can keep deepening our understanding of what this really means. You know, what it, what what is this? Um, what does it mean to be? I had a great friend of mine years ago named Robert Wolf, and he wrote a book, "What It Is to Be Human." You know, such a great book. It wasn't along Buddhist lines, but this is what we're learning. What it what does it mean to be a human being, and why would we want to know? Because that's what we are. You know, why, do, why would I want to know what it means to be some kind of interdimensional flying around the cosmos being when I can't do it, but I wanted to for years? Tom, a teacher, Jen. Hi, John. Um, I think I'm good for today. Thank you for teaching. You're always good. <laughs> Tom, a teacher, David. Hey, John. I do not have agents. This is going to be good. That understanding Experiencing it, experiencing it, not just thinking about it or hearing about think it. it through. You can't study it. You can't come to a Saturday class and have an aha moment. It's the experience of the calm that comes once you understand. Thank you for for pointing that out. And this this sutta, like everyone, if you look at it the right way, but this sutta teaches that fine line between ignorance and understanding and that and that really is you know I, I say this occasionally that each moment this moment in our life is a moment to to further my awakening or continue ignorance and we should be aware of that choice and as wise dharma practitioners we are when we find ourselves caught up in the world we know it we recognize it and we can remind ourselves that this is not me this is not mine this is not what i am take a breath and we get to live like becky in the world great Thank you, Ron. I think you do. I think you do. We'll finish with Meta as we always do. Does anybody have any any questions or comments they'd like to make? We'll finish with Meta as we always do. You know, and the, this, the, 
Karaniya Metasutta often sounds like a prayer almost, but it really is, um, it's a description of what someone who has emptied themselves of ignorance. The Buddha's words from the Karaniya Metasutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, <clears throat> one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being free from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class this morning. Peace. Thank you. Everyone. Bye. See you, Brian. Thanks, John. See you, everyone. Bye. See y'all. Thank you, John. See you, Sarah. See you, Mary. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.